welcome to the final episode of Series 5 of York Hospital Ball. This week's guest is Lee Bullock, a player who came through the York City youth system to establish himself as a key player in the first team during some of the most challenging times on and off the pitch. Lee went on to play for the likes of Cardiff, Hartlepool and Bradford City before returning to York City for a second spell in 2012. Hospital Radio thanks Planning Prospects, our sponsors for this series, who are town planning and development consultants and specialise in obtaining planning permissions for their clients across the country. If you have land or property where you want to get planning permission, then they may be able to help. For more information, then please visit their website, planningprospects.co.uk. If you have enjoyed this series and are able to donate to the charity, then we would be really grateful. To do this, please visit our donation page, justgiving.com slash yorkhospitalradio. Justgiving.com slash yorkhospitalradio. But for now, and the final podcast this series, please enjoy Lee Bullock. Okay, Lee, thanks for joining us. So I just wanted to start, you know, you're a Stockton lad, huge Middlesbrough fan. You get offered a trial at your, your hometown club, Middlesbrough, but you up to sign for York City. Just talk us through how that chain of events happened. Well, it was a long time ago. I was maybe 13, 14-year-old, possibly a bit younger, but obviously at the time, York were a Vision 1 team, will it have been then, as it was, before League 1 and League 2. They were a very good team. Obviously, it was around the time of Man United and the Cup, just prior to that. So, Middlesbrough at the time were just a, a, a similar kind of team, steady away. Just thought the opportunities at York would obviously be better. And it was a good group of Teesside lads. Actually went to York from in and around the Teesside leagues. As soon as I'd gone there and, and played a game or two, I really enjoyed it. And that was what it was about, enjoying it at the time. You never thought it was going to come to what it did. It was just about, yeah, I enjoyed that. It was good coaches, good players and a good game. And went and got more and more serious from there. And who was the scout who originally sort of picked you up from, from those sort of Teesside leagues? He's a well-renowned scout in the area. Barry Gelder. And he he just seen me playing for Stockton West End. So there was a few. Christian Fox, John Moen. There's a lot of lads from Martin and Cleveland Juniors. Used to go in and around all the clubs, so there was there was a few of us, and we all went down, and we, we all stuck together right the way through. Um, I think it's fair to say that sort of YTS games have sort of changed, aren't they? These days, a completely different set to kind of your era when you were starting out. What what was your experience of it, and whose boots did you clean when you were at York City? It was brilliant. Obviously, at the time, you used to go, oh, "It's terrible, let's cleaning this, we're doing that, we're doing this." Basically, you kept the full club running without the YTS. You used to think the club would have collapsed. We cleaned everything, we looked after everything, but it. Was it was brilliant. It was great times, like 20 odd lads all together. Cleaning boots. When I first got there, I cleaned um, Alan Poughton's centre midfield and how he was. He was a good player as well. He was a really good player. And then I mean, the second season, I cleaned um, Crezzy's and got him a move, polished a million pound move into them and and off he went to Chef Wed and then I think after that I was I was doing alright and playing the reserves so I might have got out of cleaning anyone else's but Alan Powton who was a really good player and, and then Crezzy's me claimed to fame he went and had a good career didn't he he certainly did I mean there were some really good stories when I was researching your time in the youth team including one that had completely passed me by at the time when you went to Holland for an under 20s tournament and you were beating teams from Holland Belgium and you beat a Slovakian side in the final 4-2 on penalties there were some familiar faces there with yourself Christian Fox James Turley all 
goal scored in the shootout. Russ Howarth saved two penalties. I mean, what, what are your memories of that tournament, winning the European trophy for York City? I completely forgot about it, but obviously you got me thinking. And at the time, what will we have been, 18? What am I now? Nearly 40, so it's that 22 years ago. Probably one, you imagine York City now taking a youth team to an international tournament in Holland. So to get us there, I don't know how they managed it, but it was brilliant. We stayed in a real good hotel. We had the top bus taking us all around. The tournament was excellent. Again, it was just a, we were just a group of lads who'd been together the majority of since 13, 14 year olds. So we were just out there in the tournament. We were quite a good team. We used to winning and we just went and just played like we played at home and we got further and further. And like you say, we, we won it on a shootout, which I remember there was some good teams in it, but I couldn't, there weren't like big hitters of Europe, but there were teams that York City shouldn't be beaten. And like I say, we went and we were just a good group of mates and we went on and won it and brought a, this big trophy home in the front of the bus. I remember that driving back through York like we won the Champions League, thinking everyone else knew, but no one had a clue. But to us, it was massive and it was, yeah, it was a great time. And I think we even were allowed a night out at the end of it all, which was decent. <laughs> I, th- I read somewhere, and, you, and you, you might not remember this, as you say, it was such a long time ago, but I read somewhere as well that Brian Neves, your, your coach, had told you all it was an under-18s tournament when it was actually an under-20s tournament. He did that to protect you and, and not make it as, as scary as it might have sounded. Do, do you remember yeah. that story at all? It will have been, it'll have been Brian, it'll have been Eddie Shaw and Paul Stancliffe. The three of them will have probably planned it up together and yeah because we we will have been an under 18s team so we will have went in quite young so being how we I remember us how we were it probably wouldn't have phased us it wouldn't the majority of us had played reserve football and we just got on with it like I said and we, we got through round after round and just snowballed if you like and, and you were saying before when, when we were sort of messaging last week that Brian Neves is someone that you, you still keep in touch with and someone that you've obviously had a big impact on your career yeah Brian like I said when I went when I was 13 year old he was the man who got me there the man who got me involved you know when you hear people talking about the first ever proper coach Brian was my first coach and he was brilliant for me I was fortunate that when I went YTS he sort of moved up as well so I went all the way through with him someone I've got massive massive respect for speak to him quite a lot in fact when we mentioned the other week it's quite a sad story but I thought I haven't spoken to Brian for a good year or so and his wife had been ill second he answered the phone you know when you just know and he burst out crying on the phone and it was like it upset me I'm thinking I'm saying I, I respected this man and he's probably put a massive part of where I am today and he hadn't spoken to him for over a year and in that time his, his wife died and it, that real hit me but he was a brilliant coach not just himself the whole team everyone respected him he was a, he's an angry Scotsman he didn't mess with him if you've done anything wrong told you I remember one time when I was about 14, 15 maybe thought it'd be a good idea to get my ear pierced end up with an, um, like a hoop in this left ear and I forgot to take it out and I sat in the changing room I can tell you it was riddling in the way and he just clocked it in the dressing room before the game I don't think he'd get away with it now but he basically said if he ever seen it in my ear again he'd rip it out and I wouldn't have an ear to wear an earring in and from that day I never wore an earring again at football man. I was going to say I've noticed it's not there now I'm a little peek fans will more likely remember the FA Youth Cup run that you played in you played West Ham didn't you in the fifth round and drew one all at Boone Crescent in front of over a thousand fans and then played at Upton Park in the replay he was a midfielder up against uh, Joe Cole and Michael Carrick in their midfield that, that must again been a fantastic 
fantastic experience for you. That was when I know we said we, we just got on with it as a group of lads, but I think that night we did think, hang on, this is this is serious now. This is some of the best players our age. I think we'd beat Stoke, we beat another half decent team, but obviously not a Premier League standard on the way. And then that West Ham game, there was a decent crowd. Joe Cole had been away playing for England and then moved back into Leeds Bradford somewhere on the evening of the game. And we could have beat them that night. I can't remember how it went, but I think Moore might have saved the penalty. We might have missed one. Foxy scored. Foxy was an unbelievable player at the time. He was, I remember right on the night at Boone Crescent, he looked more like a West Ham player than their lads. And we just couldn't get through. I think we nearly nicked it in the last minute. But then we went to their place, Upton Park in the replay, and they done us 5-0. Obviously, their lads hadn't been away on international duty. And Defoe might have even played, or there was some real good striker as well. Yeah, on the night, it was um, too much for us at Upton Park. Again, they went on and won it. I think they won the final 9-0 that year. Yeah, I've got that written down here. Yeah, they did beat Coventry, I think, in the final 9-0. Uh, so, yeah. so let's talk about your debut, your professional debut, 1998, 17 years old, in a FA Cup game not FA Youth Cup tie at Wrexham must be a daunting place to go when did you find out you were playing and, and were you already training with the first thing you mentioned before that you were, you'd played a bit for the reserves for my age if you like I was one of the younger halves I was probably a young 17 year old at the time but I was doing alright in the reserves playing well but the reserves the first team again at the time York were a high standard team it was a massive leap and with an injury crisis Alan Little was the manager and I think it was maybe probably just a Friday you're playing and I was in midfield with Scott Jordan and I remember well I was real nervous some people say to get on with it and do it but no it was it was a big deal for me and two men sent off we had Wrexham up the race course ground and I said I don't think I touched the ball they just kept the ball for 45 minutes we were 2-0 down and I got subbed at half time so as far as debuts go it was um, pretty unglamorous it wasn't what I drank up and how, how did you feel go, going home that night? Did you become more determined to think, well, I haven't given a good account of myself there and I, I, I want to show what I can do? Or were you worried that you were going to maybe go into your shell a little bit? Yeah, probably a bit of both. Because you've, again, playing reserves, there's no one there, but you, you used to play well and think, oh, this is easy, this. And you get out on the big stage where it really matters. It hit me, I was like, wow, that's so fast, so strong, no time whatsoever, brilliant learning curve. And I never played again until I was well over 18. So it was probably too early, but I, the time you got thrown in and you got on with it and like you say it wasn't um, wasn't a Rooney style debut it was um, one to forget but in 17 and a half year old in the FA Cup debut this, you look back it's a great game even if it uh, didn't go as planned but I think we lost 2-0 but like I say we had nine men Martin Reed and Matt Tinkler both got sent off well, that might be 2-1 I think Scott Jordan could have scored actually well you, you won Young Player of the Year that season and, and I think the next campaign you made 25 appearances under Neil Thompson and, and I think supporters love to have a homegrown player don't they and I wonder does that give you a little bit of leeway or do you think there's a bit more pressure when, when you're a, a player who's come through the youth team and that's um, the first team I think it, it's a bit of both obviously everyone loves to see the, the lads come through and come out of the academies or the youth team as it was then and, and do it a bit um, I was just a slow starter I think I, I never burst on the scene I just came in and was steady boring finding my feet and eventually I, I got better and better without sounding big headed but I came in slowly and just got used to it if you like and established myself so you don't see it happen much these days I was given a lot of time like I said it was the right club I was given a lot of time to develop and played a lot of games at the young age. Going back that later year, that was probably, I'd just played every youth team game. I'd been in that first team game. I'd nicked a couple of bench or travelled appearances. I think it was just, because like I said, there was some good players and Christian Fox, unbelievable player. He could have been 
so good, but injury and a bit of personal problems at the time when his dad passed away that James Turley scored goals. There was, there was a lot of good players in that team, but I was the one that fortunately went on and, and managed to do a bit. Well, is it the, the following campaign in 2000-2001 season where you came a lot more established under Terry Dolan. Just before that season started, York played a, a bit of a glamorous friendly, didn't they, against Manchester United? And I, I think you came on in the second half, didn't you? What, what that was like, because there was 9,000 there at Boone Crescent, weren't there? And Man United played a, a, a real full strong team that was surreal at the time because the midfield that day, I think it was Keenan Scholes in the middle Beckham on the right hand side Giggs on the left I still if people say I was the best team played against I'll still drop I played my new ones and they're like did you and I'd drop it in it was like a pre-season friendly game once you've impressed them but back to the rafters Dwight York and Andy Cole up front I think I don't know if you remember where they used to do that wanted to run through the legs and it'd go through Dwight York's legs and Andy Cole would take it behind him. I remember they'd done that and Harry Hobson just hit the deck in a crumpled heat that just happened at League Two and I think that, that might have nearly ended his career that he'd injured his knee but the talent them lads had they were, I think they were one game in the pre-season. We were weeks in and they didn't get out second gear. The beat was, was it 2-0? Well, I, I think it would have been 20 nil if it weren't for Alan Fettis, to be fair. I was yeah, watching yeah. the highlights back last night. But yeah, well, you know, it was a strong team. And then I remember like coming out like, into the car park. The car park at Boovham, for everyone who knows, it's tight, isn't it? It's walled. It was couldn't move for people. There was thousands in there. And I remember at the time, Beckham was just becoming massive, wasn't he? And Keith Usher, the secretary, got to sneak him across the pitch through the pop stand, through that little dungeon door where you just get balls back. And apparently a car took him out under the A64 and he met the bus further out. But that was what they, they said they had to do with Beckham. But wrestling could get on, no messing King, Big Tall Emlock got on, but Beckham had to get taken away. Well, I was, I was reading as well that apparently he asked for permission to land the helicopter on the on the pitch at Boven Crescent for him to get a, a getaway afterwards, but, but he couldn't. And obviously the, the, the rest of his story wasn't there, but you've just told it there going through the uh, dungeon tunnel. <laughs> That was the start. I don't know if it's, I might be totally making it up, but that was the rumour that went round at the time. Keith Usher, I suppose, will be the man to ask on that. We just waited for the fans to disappear and slid out and probably were getting autographed as well, like the rest of everyone else. <laughs> Your first goal was shortly after that in October 2000, a close-range header at Halifax in a 3-1 win. How, how much do you remember about scoring your first goal? It must be real special for you. Yeah, it was, like I say, I was, I think I was due it. Like I say, I was a slow burner. You know, I don't know how many games it was, but it seemed to be a long while and it, wouldn't come and it was a rainy Tuesday night I remember it it wasn't a great night across the ball went wide across came in and I just thought right get yourself in there which I had a decent habit of in the end and just flicked it and the second I flicked it I thought that's got a chance and looked up and seen it go in the corner and it was a it was a big relief because probably no one was at the time against Halifax we needed three points to be in a, a, a relegation battle as it was that gave me a bit of confidence and got me going that did it's like finally I've arrived and, and I think you got four goals that season but but by the following season, you really seem to establish yourself as a goal-scoring box-to-box midfielder and you got nine goals. I mean, did Terry Dolan encourage you to get forward? Because he, he was often seen as a bit of a pragmatic sort of manager, wasn't he? Yeah, I, I really liked Terry Dolan. He, was, he probably, he kicked me on, if you like. Neil Thompson gave me opportunity and was real good, but I was young. And Terry Dolan came in. I just liked how he was. I like, there was no nonsense. 
didn't want to be your mate, but you got on with him, trained well and played well, you were in the team. And he just used to tell me to go out there and just be a midfielder. Like none of this holding midfield and playing in the hole. It was just go and be a centre midfielder, box to box. And I just got into stride and I started to, to feel like I was a big part of it and important in the team. And any player, a bit of confidence and off you go, it gets you going. And that was, it was a good spell. And I know Terry, he got a bit of stick. We weren't brilliant all the time. Some games were awful, weren't we? And some games we were decent. But personally, I, again, he's another one I a lot to thank him for because he showed a lot of trust in me at a young age. I mean, I'm going to say he was pragmatic, but you played and scored in that crazy 5-4 game at Rochdale, didn't you? And uh, do yeah. you think in hindsight then that Terry maybe got a bit of needless stick? It's easy at the time, isn't it, to think that we're mid-table mediocrity or, or almost fighting a relegation battle. But then, as we know, what happened to York City further on down the line, he, he was probably a safe pair of hands, wasn't he? Yeah, hindsight's brilliant, isn't it? But again, whatever league York are in, fan base, quality of the club, they're always expected to do well in it, aren't they? Because whether they're in the league they're in now or they're in League One at a the time, they'll always have a decent budget because of the fans and the people back them. So I suppose, no, I'm sure Terry, will, he had a decent team and sometimes he got us right and other times he weren't. One thing I've learned from all my years of low league football and being in that semi-pro now is the reason we're there is because we're not consistent do it decent one week and then the next week you look like you've never kicked the ball and then following Saturday you're all right consistency we never had it one player that probably was consistent around that time was Alan Fettis who I mentioned in that pre-season game I mean what what was he like to play with because I I felt at times that he kept York up single-handedly you know he used to produce save after save and I I always used to think if an opposition player went clean through I still expected Alan Fettis to save it he was he was that good wasn't he so did we We, we used to college Super L because he was singing the Super Alan Fettis the fans used to sing it I used to call it Alan Fettis FC but he was an unbelievable goalkeeper he was so good and to say like strikers win the game how many points do you think he won us over the years and he was a, obviously an older pro than me but he was so good and the saves he pulled off week after week were unbelievable it did make you wonder why he was playing for York what was because he got he got a move to Hull didn't he but it never really happened there but his shot stopping was probably as good as we've seen at Proven Crescent was it? Absolutely yeah I mean with Leicester we've had some good keepers over the years like Dean Kiley haven't we and Michael Ingham Nick Pope but yeah Fett is, uh, he's always held in, in such high regard I just wanted to move on to the 2002-2003 to the season which has to be one of the craziest in York City's history really carnage off the pitch but miraculously doing quite well on it John Batchelor came in as chairman around that time and I can see by, by your reaction there what what was your first impressions of him when you when you first met met John Batchelor I never really ever spoke to him and he never had you never seen him but just at the time I just remember thinking like what's going on I was used to Douglas Craig who was Mr Chairman never seen him never heard from him the impression of him would be up in the boardroom having a whiskey if you like watching the game shouting down but that was what I was used to. That was what I knew. And that was how York ran. And then all of a sudden, this fella's coming in with racing cars. Stupid ideas, if you like. And I just remember thinking, like like you say, it was a circus, wasn't it? And I never spoke to him. I don't think he knew how it was. I don't think he knew any of us were. It was, it was all just a big bone front, if you like. And as it turned into, didn't it? You know, some of the players that came in around those times, and, and I don't want to sound disrespectful because I've never played professional football, but the likes of Ruggiero, who was a Brazilian striker, and Nicolas Mazzini, who was possibly the only Argentinian I 
think I've ever seen who can't trap a football. Do you realise there's players that in training, God, these are not yeah, at our like, level. Then. Like you say, you've never played, but you're not daft and footballers, we're not daft. And again, part of this circuit, there was, a, there was three, there was another lad, there was a Dutch lad, wasn't there, came James, a Coley. The first day's training, you're out on the pitch, you're doing your little, and you just look at them thinking, like, what on earth's going on here? These are like, there's not a chance Terry Dolan Eddie Shaw brought these lads in and as it proved they were a disaster but did, how, how did Terry deal with that then because these players were, were clearly then thrust upon him and do you think he was told to play them I have no idea but I'm, I'm guessing yeah like knowing football as we do now and what goes on probably like I'm in charge of the club these players are in signed them just signed and then I don't think they really got kicked then Terry instantly knew and probably was a battle between the not playing and the board wanting them not the board whoever wanting them to play and, and like you said, Terry, Yady, anyone, they'll know fine well. If we were putting the team on the side, we're going to get beat and he's going to get hammered. So it's a lose-lose situation, wasn't it? Absolutely. And John Batchelor arrived as this sort of knight in shining armour, didn't he? At what point did you realise that he didn't have any armour and, and players weren't getting... Was it just when he were, you weren't getting paid? Yeah, there was... There was also, we, we didn't really have much idea what was going on, but we were getting invited to like go to race days at Croft Circuit up in Darlington and there was these cars going around the track with that stupid badge on with the um, checkered flags and hospitality full of food and everything and you're thinking hang on we haven't got two pennies to rub together at training ground and the ground and there's all this going on here and you're thinking it started going out didn't it money was going from one place to the other and it was a bad time I didn't enjoy it in the slightest because it wasn't New York City that I knew it's been into a mess really yeah and although you say you didn't enjoy it personally it must it was a pretty good season for you again wasn't it you scored nine goals again and I remember I had a bit of a rough patch though because Luther Blissett came in didn't he as a coach initially and I don't think he, he fancied me he's obviously John Batchelor's man and I had a little, again, I had a little slow spell, but and I, and I don't know, I believe I'm wrong, but it might coincide with when he left and disappeared and it went back to, to Terry and Aidy. Like you say, all of a sudden, finished the season well and God, rules. players need to know they've got the backing of the coaches and the managers and I think once... Once it was back to Terry and Eddie, yeah, I'm with it again and settled back down. Well, I, I certainly remember going to Feetham's on a on a Tuesday night towards the end of the season. You, you got a, a fantastic volley at we left foot, I think, as well at Darlington away, and we lost two one. And it, it just felt like the club were starting to run out of steam. Was that just because it it all took its toll on the players, all the stuff that was going on off the pitch? I think it was. Yeah, it was turmoil, wasn't it? And people have this impression of footballers and and money coming out, falling out the wallets and all sorts. But at that level, you, you go from month to month, basically. And there was I was still living at home with my mum and dad and took a bit of diesel in my car now and again. And there was lads with kids and wives and mortgages, the works. It was really difficult for them. I was naive. I didn't have a clue about bills and all this carry-on. So I think that's probably why I was able to just bow through it because of naivety. But again, for your, for your older players... You look back and a lot of them disappeared, didn't they? Probably on the, the basis that they needed to pay mortgages. And if a better offer came, the way the club was at the time, you were going to disappear. Yeah, well, we mentioned Alan Fettis earlier, didn't we? Yeah. And he, he walked out to go back to Hull where he'd started his career for free. And and, and I think I remember at the time, again, you talk about being sort of naive. I think I was as a fan as well. I remember booing Alan Fettis when, when he was playing for Hull. And when I look back now, I'm really embarrassed by it. But at the time, you don't realise that these, these people have got mortgages to pay and, and what they, you know not been paid for ages. And, and you just think, oh, they should be playing for York City 
no matter what. How did Terry deal with that and how did he shield the players around that time? That was one of Terry's great strengths. Like Danny said, he got a bit of grief, but he gave everything for his players. He would he would take all the stick. He would come in and he, he just made things enjoyable. He took all the pressure away from you. He would get battered himself rather than it happened to you. And he, he would have a little go at you after a game, as all managers do, but he would never let you have to front up to Chris. I mean, he took it all himself. I think he's very thick-skinned, wasn't he? And I think he'd been called everything there was to be called. So it rolled with the job. And good for people like me, and I was an older pro, he'd probably appreciated it even more. But at the time, like, see, I just gone with him, played and enjoyed it. Probably the pressure he was under was immense. I don't even think about it at the time. Well, that pressure was relieved wasn't it for Terry as he lost his job unfortunately that summer his finances were cut back and the club were taken over by the supporters at the time how strange was it for you then that, that Chris Brass a teammate someone who's only a few years older than you is appointed as your manager that must have been such a strange scenario stranger for him it was probably good for all the players because we knew him and it, it was one of the lads who spent time in the dormouse and you name it the pubs all around York as a group suddenly he's your gaffer and that was the type of man Brass he was he was like our leader he would have never turned it down was he too young probably far too young but I guarantee if he got off the mate again he'd do it especially was like he was a leader of men he stood up and we counted and he was someone we all looked up to so it was him and Norgs it was probably the best thing as a player because we knew him and we were, we were safe around him was it the best decision for the club possibly not but financially and who knows yeah might not have had a choice with it really York were the bookies favourites for relegation did that galvanise the players then because you, the team made a flying start didn't they won the first four games you scored at Carlisle on the opening day then you got an absolute cracker at Huddersfield away as well in the Yorkshire derby what were you thinking of as players around that time particularly after you'd won four straight games for example <laughs> we thought Brassy was Mourinho didn't we I don't think we could believe what was happening and then, like you say, we were pulling great wins at that Huddersfield. Did we go top of the league that day? And I remember the full behind the goals, York fans. They had John Stead, didn't they? They had a few, was it Booth? They had some big players in that. We had, like myself, Young. I remember Richard Coop, Stuart Wise, 18-year-old marking John Stead out the game. And we were such a young team with Nogs up top and Brassy running around as manager and assistant on the pitch. It was, yeah, you can probably see why it didn't last because there was no experience experience there but I'm sure we got you dreaming for four weeks didn't we and then it went to a nightmare not too long after and that, that goal at Huddersfield it, was that one of those that as soon as it left your foot you knew it was in but though you were saying to me through messaging that you'd kind of forgotten about that until someone showed you it recently is that right? No I, I, I knew it I knew it was a good goal and I knew it was a big goal but I'd, I'd never seen it even after I scored it till probably six months ago and, and David Reynolds a big supporter of the club he was a, a young boy when I was he's a bit of a non-league ground hopper now but he uh, um, he sent me a link to it a few months back yeah I seen it and I, I showed a few people and I'm like that's not you no chance but yeah it was just set it left foot bang but it went anywhere and it flew around the bonnet shame it was long back it's a, a decent goal. And the wheels started to come off, didn't they, after Christmas? What was the dressing room like then? You said that it was quite an inexperienced sort of squad, wasn't it? How difficult was it for Chris Brass to sort of dig players out that are a lot more older and seeing it? You know, someone like Mitch Ward, for example, who played in the Premier League, it, it must have been quite fraught, that dressing room at times. It was just difficult because we couldn't get the results we were, we were working for. It, we were in one of them runs where it just seemed like anything we tried, any formation, any team, wasn't happening. And you did 
do all the talk, work all week, keep it tight, first 20, do this, do that. And we'd be doing okay. And then the first mistake we meant, bang, we were 1-0 down and heads would drop. And like you said, there was no there was no leaders who could grab a team together and take us. Like people are saying about Man United at the minute, so that's at the top, top level. This is a, an inexperienced League 2 team with just no one there to pull the laces up, if you like. And, and around this time, Cardiff started uh, taking a keen interest in you, didn't they? And, but it felt to me like they sort of exploited York a little bit by sort of taking you on trial to start with then they took you on loan and then they, they would only pay once you'd played so many games for them. Did it feel like that to you as well or was that just, is that me as a, a sort of fan yeah, on the outside? that's the like, the cynical fan in you. I don't know if you put yourself in my shoes, suddenly a mid-table championship team full of internationals are like, are having a look around now. I couldn't believe me luck. I went on trial for a week and trained with them all week and they actually hurt me foot while I was on trial couldn't drop out a real bad foot came back we played full on Saturday away didn't we we, we lost 2-1 and I missed a sipper with a bad foot all I remember about that first trial was the whole game was a big game for us wasn't it and I went through one on one chance I, I go over and over in my mind someone might remember it but I'm sure we won all the way up the KC I went through and I hit the to the place there and it's hit the side stanchion at the side net and, and then they've gone down the pitch and beat it 2-1 and it's, that was a big game and a big derby and that miss that's one of the like I still think about that all the time it's weird but then on the back of that I went to Cardiff like you said and done me two week trial or week trial and then they took me on loan till the end of the season and again like you said about Fets earlier I couldn't not do it could you go in from I was more meaning the way Cardiff were with York rather rather than yourself I mean for you oh. yourself, obviously it's a huge move but I think for York you're losing their, their key player at the time and not getting any financing until way further down the line to try to replace you I guess I suppose it was a moral dilemma for them wasn't it it's do you stand in someone's way because I'd like to think if it happened to me at Whitby now and you would say the player, yeah, go on best wishes, but yeah, financially, I think they got a they got a small fee up front for the loan, and then they got a transfer fee in the summer. But yeah, I suppose it was probably big fish eats little fish, wasn't it? You you get what you're given kind of scenario, and fortunately, that's the way football is, isn't it? As we're finding out at the moment, of, of course. I mean, your last game was a three-one defeat against Scunthorpe, and and at that time, I think York had gone ten without a win. Did you think York would go down as you were leaving, and and was it difficult for you to watch from afar? And you they were struggling. I just Hope that they would that they'd turn it around. They just they just need one win, and then anything can happen. But it didn't. And I think I ended up being the top goal scorer in there uh, come the end of the season. And I'd left Christmas or whenever it was February time. And there's the issue, isn't it? They didn't score goals. And you're never going to win games if you if no one's scoring. And it was devastating for them all. But it wasn't for the want to try. And the, the lads give their all, but they just weren't good enough at the time. Let's talk about your move to Cardiff. I was going to say, was it a, was it the step up? You know, really difficult. But you got a goal on your debut, and you got three goals in the, the last 10 games of the season so you, you must have been delighted with that start yeah like I said I was a slow burner at York I went there and I, like I said I was a bit of an experienced player played a lot of games and what I didn't do on my debut at Wrexham I, I managed to do at Minion Park came on at half time weirdly I, I remember I'd, I handballed it in our box about 30 seconds earlier bending and it was a blatant handball and I remember thinking oh my god he's another one I'd never give it got away went back down the pitch straight on the attack it dropped on me and I hit it in Scored, so it could have been could have been a lot worse, but I got away with that one. And I was just like coming from the box, struggling to 
be thrown into this champion team. Internationals, unbelievable players. It was brilliant. And I never felt I was that level. I loved every minute of it. You mentioned some of those players there, like Graham Kavanagh. You might have even watched playing for Middlesbrough, I guess, once upon a time. Inamoto as well as an international yeah. player who'd played for Arsenal and Fulham. And I think Darren Williams was there at some point as well. I don't know if you, you were sort of cross Yeah, there was a, obviously being a Borough fan, Lenny Lawrence was the manager. Tony Vidmar was there. Andy Campbell, Paul Wilkinson, um, Graham Kavanagh. It was, there was a crazy northeast gang, believe it or not. Good for other reasons. Tuesday night or a Saturday night. But um, yeah, there was some great players as well. Burnshaw, Gabadon, or Ledley who came through in a motor was unbelievable. Most technical player I've ever seen. The stuff he could do was, was outrageous. He was so famous. You wouldn't believe people used to follow him from the. We used to train at, get dressed at Ninian Park, walk across the road into Leckworth and get an athletic stadium train. And there would be people waiting outside Ninian Park on a Monday morning at 10 o'clock and we'd just camera him, video him, walk all the way across the road, across the car park, into the ground, big TV cameras, just following him everywhere. And it was fans galore. It was like Beckham, but it was weird. And at the time, it was unheard of. He hardly spoke any English. He just smile and laugh. It was weird. Went from bottom of the league too it suddenly you got players with TV crews following them around and, and how hard was it for, for someone like yourself who like you say Northern lad you've been at York City a long time how hard was it to sort of relocate to South Wales it wasn't a problem whatsoever I was I know I said I'm a slow burner but I'm, I wasn't shy I, I like the social side of it if you like there was a great North East crew Andy Campbell I obviously straight in with him there was a, a lad called Willie well there was a good Irish connection as well Willie Boland Graham Kavanagh you know what the Irish are famed for so let's say I had some good times down in Cardiff off the football pitch as well and I slotted into that side of it quite well it was just the football side of it I knew I wasn't a championship player I didn't have the pace touch and passing no problem but yet you had to be fast you had to be powerful and athletic and that was what I lacked really I was doing a job got about 10 goals for them but it wasn't inconsistently nowhere near did, did you ever think though that you mentioned there a few times that, you, that you've been a bit of a slow burner did you ever think I'll dig in here and I'll, I'll kind of get better as that yeah there was the contract yeah there was times like say, I used to I'd get a, a run now and again and I'd, I'd score a goal play decent for a game or two and I think I'd practice it but then you go somewhere like Ipswich away and play, I remember playing one night against Tommy Miller and passed you off the target you didn't get near the ball and then it, it brought you back to down to earth or you'd, you'd get on the football try and turn and someone would take it off you it was had to be on it every every single game I remember having to mark one night at Millwall away him on half an hour as a sub with the instructions going man mark Tim Cahill and you know how good and athletic he was and I don't know I don't think he scored I think he drew nil nil but I came off the pitch thinking all I've done is just chase round after Tim Cahill and I haven't even picked the ball but there were some good players kicking around at that time How was it warming up in front of the Millwall fans? Um, well obviously Cardiff and no Angels either so there was we had some interesting away trips with obviously the Millwall to Leeds Wolves we spend half our time sat on the bus waiting for the police to clear the road before we could go but they were unbelievably passionate loud give you all great set fans they were fine with me because I was a bit part of the squad if you go so, so was it that I mean you'd only started eight games the year that Lenny Lawrence had left were you concerned that your career was stagnating then at that point I mean like you said you'd played so many career games to that point and, and then this was the first time you'd slow down a bit yeah it wasn't stagnant I was always involved but yeah it was like sat on the bench 
finished not coming on. All right, you were getting paid a million times better than I was getting paid at York. The money was there, but yeah, it's not the same. You're not playing, you're not involved as much. I knew I was never going to be a first choice. I was only going to play if Willie Boland, Cav, in a motor, whoever were injured, suspended, or needed a goal last 20 minutes. And then it was just like you say, you missed the buzz of being a big part of the team so it was Dave Jones came Lenny Lawrence got the sack quite harshly got the sack for a mid-table championship team and then Dave Jones came in in that summer and I, to be honest I didn't even speak to him I'd, I'd left and it was one of them he didn't probably didn't he wants to leave. These have came in for him. I mean, Hartlepool seemed on the surface quite quite a good move for you, wasn't it? You're a Northern boy, and was that quite an easy decision to sign for? Yeah, it was. It was Steve Agnew who was a massive part of it. it. Was when I was at York, Agus was I was 18, 17. He was a real good established pro. Who Neil Thompson wasn't allowed to play. I don't know politics. So he was playing in the reserves, and he was brilliant with me. He was. As a centre midfielder, he played at Barnsley, Blackburn. He helped me so much. And then he was still there when I signed for him. We used to drive in together. I used to meet him in Hutton Rugby and drive him to training. So we became good mates. He got me to Hartlepool and he was a big part of it. I was real looking forward to playing under him as a coach and friend. But it went a little bit sour, put it that way, and never really recovered since. Relegated in your first season with Hartlepool, then got promoted in the second season. So was it just a bit of a mixed spell then? Yeah, it was. Well, Martin Scott signed me and again as a player you know when you're decent you know when a manager fancies you obviously Agus was a big part of it early, early I thought yeah this is alright this and then I quickly started to realise Martin Scott wasn't having me he didn't like me I didn't like him kept getting injured which doesn't help the Borough got the UEFA Cup final in Eindhoven I got sucked into Thursday night's Premier League games on a Sunday which is badly unprofessional but it happens and, and that year Hartlepool was pretty poor and I, I think Agus got a bit of respect from me from that point of view but what can you do now you've got to get on with it haven't you and if I had my time again you, you moved on to, to Bradford City a huge club aren't they and uh, played under a fair few different managers there Peter Taylor Stuart McCall Peter Jackson Phil Parkinson and that must have been quite good for you to be a mainstay throughout those managers coming and going that you managed to establish yourself personally you, I think you won player of the year in 2010 you were captain at times and you took a pay cut to stay clearly out of respect for the club was it just missing the, the kind of success on pitch as a team that there were you spell at Bradford yeah well obviously it went sour at Hartlepool but then Danny Wilson came in and, and we had a real good spell we got promoted in League 2 and I was, I was a big part of that really enjoyed it but then League 1 Danny Wilson really good manager by the way brought in better players again brought me mate Willie Boland in from Cardiff who I couldn't get in the team at Cardiff for he turns up at training at Hartlepool and there's something straight away we got and then I went to Berry on loan wasn't again I wasn't playing playing golf more on a Saturday and I was playing football rubbish so I went to Berry on loan they wanted to sign me but I didn't want to move and then Bradford came in New Year's Day Stuart McCall rang me so straight away I was a midfielder Stuart McCall's ringing you I had a little I know you knew Bradford big club I didn't quite know theatre in at the time but 12,000 fans look at that stadium yeah I'll get me car now if you like and remember we played Accrington Stanley on my debut New Year's Day and an excellent little club but not great fans but I remember that there was three sides of the grounds were full of Bradford fans Bradford were on a tough run and won 2-0 just got into a good little spell all look you need as a player and I came in we won and we won a fair few games on the trots and it looked like I'd had an impact if I had I had if I hadn't it was just 
my pleasure of time. And two clubs when I look back, Morecambe and Bradford are the two that were they're my two clubs. York, they're the two clubs bang. I look for their results straight away. Then I'll look for Hartlepool and then that might a little look out hard if we're getting on. And and you rejoined York in two thousand and twelve. You left the club whilst they were on their way out of a football league and you rejoined them as they were coming back into it. How had the club changed in that time since you left? We still Jason was in charge, excellent chairman. I won't have a bad word to say against him. He, he just took over as I left for Cardiff, actually, with Sophie and Steve Beck and, and the others. And when I went back, Jason was was the man running the show. And I think, to be honest with you, I think Jason signed me there and then because of what had gone on previously when I went to Cardiff and that money, I think, I bought. So it was, it was definitely Jason signing. Gary Mills went on the, the word of Phil Parkinson. And again, when you get this feeling that early doors a manager you're not the manager's kind of player fortunately I got it again in that season and I was older I was felt like I, I deserved a little bit better then it never happened but the coming back to York was uh, in my mind it was what a move going back where it all started going to do really well get a youth team coaching job all the, all the carry on but it, let's just say it didn't go that way and I got a whole no grudges I've got no ill feeling just Gary Mills wasn't having me I, I wasn't brilliant either I don't think I deserve to, to start in his team but I just don't give him a chance and still still speak to him I still respect him what he'd done for the club unbelievable real good manager with his group of players if you were in his group brilliant if you weren't he's a manager and felt like you were a signing that York fans were keen to see because you knew the club and you had the football league experience which is probably what we were lacking I think as a team at that point and you started the game at Doncaster didn't you in the in the league cup and, and you started the first game against Wickham on the opening day but yeah like you say you, you seem to sort of fall out of favour was that just because Gary um, um, didn't see you in, yeah, he, in that long term he had a successful team didn't he, he had Scott Kerr and but he, he had a, a good group who won in promotion and he didn't have the best of starts and knowing management like I do now you, you go back to players who you trust and he, and he, he stuck with them players that he knew and I never to be honest I never done enough in training to say get me in there I just sort of thought well if you're not having me that's your choice Did, did you instigate the moves then to, on loan to Gateshead and Stockport was that because you wanted to play regularly or was um, that Gary wanting you to go out and play somewhere else Yeah I think that was I wanted to play and he, he wanted to chop me it was simple as and, and as it turned out Gateshead was a great move Ian Bogie played brilliant football and suddenly I got the spark back and I was really enjoying it and just enjoying playing again and then called me back and I thought oh great I might have chance here and then I never got in the squad again so I don't know what happened there but yeah and then and then he he lost his job, I think, didn't he? And Nigel Worthington came in and next thing I was off to Stockport and as far as I was, the career had finished. It was pushed around all over the place. So you never never felt, even with Nigel coming in, that there'd be a fresh sort of slate there and you could maybe try again? Because like, like you say, it would have been a quite a romantic sort of end to your career, wouldn't it? Going full circle to finish your <laughs> career at York and maybe being a youth team manager, like you said there, maybe taking a team to Holland. And... That was a dream, but it, um, let's just say it didn't end that way. But then again, it doesn't, look how many players are out there. It doesn't, does it? You just get on with what you're doing and I went to Gateshead because I wanted to play then they called me back so I couldn't go back to Gateshead so then they came in and basically it's like Stockport want you do you want to go yeah it was that's how that's how far down the order I was at York it was a, it was a Dutch manager who didn't even know who I was he turned up on the day at Stockport and and me and a lad from Rotherham, he had no idea who we come in. So that's another story of a crazy club that I ended up at where the Dutch manager or Bosnian or something he wasn't 
had no idea who we'd signed or where we played. So that was when I thought, you know what, maybe it's time to start thinking about something else. Yeah, and, and you moved to Whitby in 2013 and, and you're still there now. And I noticed that I was trying to do some research about you, you kind of role at Whitby. It seems like you do pretty much everything there. Well, I went as a player because I still wanted to play. I, knew, I, I need to find a job, get some work. I still want to play at the highest level I can. And Daz Williams was manager and a friend from Cardiff, Bradford, Hartlepool. I followed him everywhere, so... I went and played for him at Whitby and people, obviously York fans will be a bit more aware of it now, but a decent level of football, I know we're one below York at the moment, but it's still a good standard, good players, so that was the level I chose to go and play at. Whitby's a, an excellent, nice, lovely club, similar to York without the fan base, if you like, and um, so a player, and Darren, unfortunately, as happens, lost his job. He asked me if I wanted to do it, but again, similar to Brassie, I thought was far too young, so I advised him to get Chris Hardy. He'd, he'd done it for five years, and I was assistant. He just resigned a few weeks back, had enough, and he's handed the reins over to me, but in the meantime, I, I was general manager as well, so I'm general manager, stroke, first team manager. And an occasional sub as well, aren't you? If we're desperate, I'll be on the bench. If I have to come on, it's, it's absolute desperation. I'm normally the fifth sub, so we can fill the bench and not look like we're close. Yeah, general manager, so at some point down the line, I'm probably going to have to sack myself, but not that when it happens. And there's a lot of links, isn't there, with ex-York City players in, in your squad, I know, as well. So Dan, Dan Rowe and, and Bradley Fuster, who had a great loan spell with York a few years ago. What's the ambition, other than at the minute, I guess, to play games again, based on what's happening at the minute, but what's the ambition for Whitby Town? Well, we're the longest, I think, we're the longest surviving club at that level. So that's one thing that makes sure we stay that way. We're always looking to get promoted. We, we The budget we get is is quite kind for the for the location we're at and, and the loyal fan base of 300 we have. Just the difficulty we have is where we're situated it's so hard to get players come over to Whitby train twice a week travel half the country when they can earn the same money as they get Northern League for playing within half an hour albeit two levels lower they get similar wages that's but then you have your lads like Dan Rowe Brad Fugster who still want to play as high that's what we we have to sell in the dream of this is the best level bar in New York Spenny Miller Blythe Dallant and this is the highest level around the area so if you want to play we're a good team we're not bad we do our best yeah and finally just a few questions to sort of finish off ones that I, I often ask people who have played quite a long time and had a, a long career w- what's the best goal you've scored in your career it doesn't have to be York City I'd probably have to say it's that one on my debut for Cardiff because it was jump from bottom half of League 2 to half of the championship to come on and just just settle myself in with a second or third touch right foot edge of the box and just did it and it just see it lying the bottom corner in front of them terror to all the support as well as well so that, that's something that again can never be taken away can it scoring on your debut in the championship the York wise the Huddersfield one sticks out the Darlow one like you said was a good one but yeah probably that the Huddersfield one shame it wasn't in a better season and who's the best player that you've ever played with to play alongside was Graham Kavanagh at Cardiff was unbelievable made the game easy for you if you like helped you through it in a motor skills and ability and vision unbelievable but 
when I was at Hartlepool, I was a lad there, James Brown, who he got badly battered by injuries. Where he was looking, he was he could have been an unbelievable player as well, but got by injuries. So yeah, I'd probably have to say Cal and then in a motor. And and who's the best player you've ever played against? Is there anyone that I mean you, you mentioned a few players there, Tommy Miller and Tim Cale and that you were chasing around, but what was there anyone in particular that you thought, wow, that that player is just by far the best I've played against? Well, like you say, weirdly that night Ipswich away, Tommy Miller, I thought I was playing against Barcelona midfield. Strange as he was unbelievable that night. Did I catch him on a good night? Possibly. Just lots of games in the championship. Like you said, there was players, if you weren't up to speed, they ran you ragged. Wigan were good at the time with Lard and Nathan Allen and people like that. West Ham were in there. Randomly as well, we played Lazio one pre-season. So imagine what they were like. It's fortunate when you look back. And probably one for me was at Bradford in League Two, believe it or not. I remember Darren Anderton when he was at Bournemouth. Mm. And obviously he'd had all the grief for sick note this and sick note that and played against him thinking, oh, this will be all right. Yeah, wow, he made us look stupid. So the ability he had was unbelievable. So yeah, he gave us an absolute run around that day as well. So at least they're all decent players who had the run around off. Well, Lee, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you about you know York City memories and your career in general. Good luck with the rest of the season, and uh, you know maybe we might see you bring your Whitby team to York City in pre-season, maybe sometime. Yeah, well, we nearly had it this season. Well, we did have it, didn't we? But public health England decided to say we weren't allowed any fans in at the last minute. So. While I'm on as well, that, that was brilliant actually. I got to speak to a lot of York fans who rang up. I think we sold about 400 tickets to York fans and had some good chats with fans there. And the amount of supporters who didn't take a refund after the game was put behind closed doors was outstanding. I think we made about seven or 800 pounds back of that. So personally, I'm from the club very much to the, the York City it was, as they always are, brilliant and back it all in their club. Well, that's much appreciated, Lee. Thanks again. No problem. Perfect. Thank you. Really enjoyed that one with Lee Bullock. Like I said in the interview, I had no idea about that European trophy that the youth team had won that Lee Bullock was a part of, thanks to York City South's website there for so many cracking articles. If you've not gone on their website before, it's well worth a scan through if you're a York City supporter. Also really pleased that Lee shone a light on the likes of Brian Neves, a youth team coach who'd, who'd worked for York City for so many years, you know, a real unsung hero, and that was real tragic to hear about the death of his wife. And it goes without saying, you know, we send our best wishes to Brian and his family. It was also really good to hear Lee's thoughts on playing with the likes of Ruggiero and Nicholas Mazzina and, and that sort of time that I think was such a chaotic time that we tend to try to forget as York City supporters but this podcast is all about the whole history of York City really and, and trying to get as many stories out of these players as, as I possibly can. So this was the last one of the series. Massive thank you to Planning Prospects again for sponsoring the whole series. Remember, if you own any land or property and you need some planning permission, go to their website, planningprospects.co.uk. Also, a huge thanks to James Charters, who's edited and produced the whole series of this podcast. And it takes a lot of hours to put these things together. And I'm really grateful to James to record the interviews whilst I'm doing them. And then the turnaround he can do the edits in is pretty phenomenal, really. So massive thank you to him for giving up his time to, to do that. York Hospital Radio is, is full of volunteers and anyone who wants to get involved please go to the website and so many fantastic opportunities there for people whether it's uh, working in the background or presenting a show or doing sports backup for the commentary that, w- that we do at Booth and Crescent 
And last but no means least, thank, thank you everyone for, for listening. It's been really great to do another series of this and the only reason we keep doing them is because of the positive feedback that people keep giving and I'm sure we'll, that we'll be back in the future. We're definitely hoping to run the Richard Brody live event. Tentative date is March the 28th, which I think I'm just going to see how it pans out over the next month or two to see how realistic that prospect is. But I'm really hopeful that, that we will get that up and running. I know Richard Brody is really keen to, to come down to York and, and tell loads more stories that I'm sure York City fans fans will enjoy so until the next time please do keep in touch please do keep spreading the word and thanks again